So we have been talking about the kingdom of God, and we've been talking about the fact that, you know, even though the kingdom of God is a very prevalent conversation piece for Christians, could we really explain it? Could we define the kingdom of God? If somebody read a passage that said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, and a man found it, then he went back and sold everything that he had to go and purchase that land, and he did it with joy. And in fact, he was so overjoyed with the fact that that he was able to, to have that treasure. And, and we've been talking about the kingdom of God, and we've been talking about what is the kingdom of God really. Um, and, and we tried to define it in such a way, and we tried to define it like this. And this is what we said. The kingdom of God is his rule and reign in the hearts and lives of believers. But the kingdom of God is also the kingdom that will come physically to this earth that we'll be able to lay eyes on. And when that happens... Uh, there will be a great judgment that will happen. And when you start talking about the end of the world, man, people start to freak out. Because people have their own opinions. Oh, I've got this view. I've got that view. I really believe that the Word of God is very clear in, in, in what he says about what will happen at the end of time. And, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I am not going to get overly complicated with you. This is called Simple Church. I'm going to try to stay simple, if at all possible. Though there are some subjects in God's Word that are very complicated, we're going to try to keep things simple, okay? We'll do our best. One of the ways that we do that is we read from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Um, you may read from another version of God's Word. You know which version you should read from? You know, you know which version you should read from? The one that you'll read from. That's the one you should read from. People get very, very kinked up about talking about the King James Version, and that's the original version, or whatever, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Uh, unless you're reading Greek and Hebrew, then I'll, I'll give it to you, okay? But if, if you're not, you're le reading some kind of translation. So um, I, I have a Greek and Hebrew Bible at home, and it's got translations, and you can look up stuff, and it is amazing, and I love it, and I look, love looking at the original language. But I can tell you that we're not reading the original language when we read God's Word here in the United States of America for the most part. There may be some places where they are reading Greek and Hebrew. I don't know of one right offhand, but maybe they are. Um, as we talk about the kingdom of God and we talk about how Jesus describes the kingdom of God, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 where we've been for the past couple of weeks, and we'll kind of wrap things up today in Luke chapter 17. But we, we heard some, some key things that Jesus was saying because he was talking to the Pharisees, and we even said that more than likely, any time he was talking to the Pharisees, he was talking to a mixed crowd. It would not only be the Pharisees who were trying to trip him up and mix him up, but they were trying to do that in the presence of these people that were following Jesus so that he would look like he was an idiot, right? So he would look like, you know what, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't understand what God has to say. So they would try to ask him questions to try to trip him up. Now, the trick, the, the, trick of the whole thing was they didn't realize something that we all know. The fact that he was God, you know. He had a greater insight into the word of God because he was God. So, you know, you got to hand it to Jesus. He was very gentle with the Pharisees sometimes, even though many times he would say, you brood of vipers, you don't even know what you're talking about. You can't, you can't understand the things of earth, much less the things of heaven. So let me just try to keep it simple for you. Here in this particular situation, he's talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees ask him a question. It says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, it says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or there it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, when we went and read that, we said, Okay, I'm catching you up to where we are today, all right? So forgive me for backtracking just a little bit. 
But what we said is, translation really says, it says among you in our Bible, but really it's what Jesus was saying was inside you. The reason the translators put among you was because they didn't want us to think that he was talking to the, to the Pharisees. They didn't want to think that, okay, he's saying inside you, talking to the Pharisees, addressing their questions. Really, he says, among you, talking about the kingdom of God is inside the hearts of believers standing all around us. So when he's addressing you personally as a Christ follower, he says, the kingdom of God is inside you. If you're not a believer and you're around a bunch of believers, the kingdom of God is around you. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. So as we look at it, we say, okay, well, what does that mean? It's inside you. It is in the hearts of believers. It is God's rule and reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign, not R-A-I-N, reign in your life, his control in your life, and you submitting to that reign. That is God's kingdom within us that is invisible. So then we went on and said, okay, but Jesus starts to, he has a break in the conversation. He says, then, in the next verse, verse 22, then he said to the disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns. Now he's talking about the return of his visible kingdom. He said, but you won't see it. He says, you're longing to see the visible kingdom, and you're going to be like, hurry up, hurry up. I want to see God's kingdom here on earth. And he says, but, but you won't see it. People will tell you, look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is, or don't go to follow them. For as lightning flashes up in the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on the day when the Son of Man comes. And he says, you won't have to go searching around. There are going to be people tell you, go look over here, or go look over there. He said, you won't have to worry about it. It's going to be like lightning lighting up the sky. Everybody's going to know it all at the same time. He says, but first, the Son of Man must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. And of course, we know that that is Jesus talking about his death, his crucifixion, and, and the fact that his own people, the Israelites, the ones that God, they were actually in Jesus' lineage, they rejected him as the Messiah. I said, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. Okay? This is where we start our passage today. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Wow, Jesus, that's a little harsh, man. But he says, this is what Jesus says. I mean, Jesus wants us to know truth, and I, I'm thankful for the fact that God doesn't sugarcoat things, that he tells us exactly the way it's going to be. He says it's going to be just like it was in the days of Noah. So I thought maybe we should talk about Noah for a second. Do you think? Because he says it's going to be just like in the days of Noah. It says in this, it says in Genesis chapter 6, it says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked close in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw the earth had become very corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world. For, no one, uh, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. And God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all the living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Now, I, I was reading this, and I got to thinking about Noah for a second. Bless his heart, right? So he's, he's talking with Noah, and, and he tells Noah, I'm going to wipe out every living creature. I, I think this is interesting because have you ever thought about this? When God said this, 
He, he didn't go right away say, except for you, Noah, or your family, Noah. He just says, I'm going to wipe everything out and destroy everything on the earth. Everything that's living is going away. If I was Noah, my immediate reaction would be, uh-oh, that's, that's not good for me. You know what I mean? Like, this could be bad. Thanks, God, for the heads up, but this doesn't sound good for me. I, I was reading this, and I thought it was so interesting, the fact that, and I never really realized this before, then God says this, he says, build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar and inside and out and cover the decks and blah, blah, blah. He goes on to tell all the, the details about how he's supposed to build a boat. Now, he still hasn't let him off the hook yet. All he's telling him is to go build a boat. Then in verse 17 of Genesis chapter 6, he says, look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood and will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. God, you still haven't let us off the hook. Noah's like, I build a boat, everything's going to die. He still doesn't let me off the hook. Then he says, but I will confirm my covenant with you. Enter the boat, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And then he goes on to tell them to bring animals with them, right? So we know that story very well. But what is going on here? The world is full of corruption. Boy, this is nothing new, right? Jesus says that it will happen at a time when the world is full of corruption. I think that that could be at any time, right? I don't want to be one of those pastors to say, well, Jesus is coming tomorrow because truly I don't know. Not even Jesus knows. He says that, that God the Father will send his son. He'll, he'll be the one to say, go and, and, and get the church. Go and get your people. And we'll go into a little bit of detail about that in just a minute. But basically he's saying that the world is going to be full of corruption as it was in the days of Noah. But it also says that they're going about with their banquets and their parties and their weddings. Like everything is hunky-dory in their eyes. Everything is fine. You know, I, I think that this says something about us. When, when, when things are corrupt in the world, but it doesn't disrupt our normal daily lives. I, I think that if you look at that and you'll say, man, that's not exactly a pretty picture, is it? When people are just going about their daily lives and there's corruption all around the world so bad that God says, I've got to wipe everything out. I've got to take it away, that it is not good. It is so corrupt, so immoral that I've got to take it away. Now, thankfully, what does he say to Noah? He says, but take you and your wives and your sons, uh, or your sons and your, your sons' wives and, and go and, and put them inside the boat that I told you to build. What does that mean? So, people have a thousand different philosophies on what the end of the world will look like. People have a, a million different ideas, and you can, you can name them all, and that's all great and wonderful. But one thing I see in Scripture right here is one thing that's very evident to me, that the redeemed, the truly righteous, were rescued before the destruction came. Am I right about that? I mean, like, I don't know any other way to describe that besides to say that he took the righteous people, put them inside a boat, and protected them before the destruction came. Like, I, I, I don't need any theologians to back me on that. All I know is that's what the Scripture says. Am I right? So it leads me to believe that before the destruction will come, that the righteous, the delivered, will be rescued and taken away and not have to endure that. That's, that's what I see. I could be wrong, but that's what I see. And there are a thousand different ideas about whether or not I'm wrong or right. But I will tell you just quite simply, and like we keep it simple in here, it looks like Noah 
and his family were saved, and then the destruction came. So what, is, what does that mean? So we, we know that there will be a time when Jesus returns, right? So we're talking about the Son of Man coming back, setting up his earthly kingdom, a visible kingdom, but we will see like a flash of lightning that covers the whole earth that everybody will be able to see, and then there's going to be judgment that falls on the earth, right? It looks, according to this, it looks like that the righteous will not have to endure that, according to what it looks like in Noah's day, right? It looks like those that are truly believers in Jesus Christ, those that have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ and their faith in Jesus Christ, will not have to endure that destruction. And I don't want to get more complicated than that than just to say that, because we're going to see another example of the very same thing in just a second. But what I will say is that is the way that it appears if you look strictly at the days of Noah. I believe, personally, that what will happen is that Jesus will come and rapture the church. That we will, the dead will be called out of the grave first, and those that are still alive on the earth will be called up to meet him in the air. And I believe they'll be rescued before that tribulation comes and the, the, the death and destruction that will ravage the earth. Now, the sad part about that is this going to cause a lot of confusion here on the earth, am I right? That there will be a lot of people that go, hey, so-and-so was here yesterday, they're not anymore. How could that be? We've got a bunch of people that are gone. What is even sadder than that is there will be a lot of churches that will continue to march right along and not even miss a beat because nobody from that church will be raptured. I hate to say that, but that's true. There's a lot of people that believe something that really truly isn't the gospel, and people will be confused. The world will be confused because they'll say, I thought that the, the, the people that followed Jesus were supposed to be called up to meet with Jesus, and why are they still here? It'll be evident in an instant who is really a follower of Jesus and who is not, separating sheep from goats, wheat from tares. And there will be confusion on the earth because there will be people that go, well, I thought the churchy people, they'd all be gone. And some of them will continue to, to march on, and they won't even be missing a single person. And that is sad, and that is tragic, and that is real. I believe fully that God will rescue the redeemed people before they have to endure the destruction of the earth. So, where else do we see that? In verse 28, it said, And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking and buying and selling and farming and building until the morning Lot left Sodom. The fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up, up, up until the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So what do we see here? Um, we see Jesus talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And it was such a corrupt time. This is how corrupt it was. You can go read about this. I'm not going to read about it in Genesis chapter 19, but you can read about it yourself. So what was going on there is that they were so corrupt that angels came to the city and men wanted to have sexual relationships with these, these other men. They wanted to have a sexual relationship with these male angels that they saw because the male angels were very beautiful, and that's how corrupt the city was. As a matter of fact... That even when they could not see, they were still chasing them down, looking for them in, in their blindness, trying to find them so that they could have sexual relationships with them. That is how corrupt they were in that day and that time. And that 
I, I know that's like, everybody's like, well, that's, that's gory and whatever, but I'm just saying that that's the way that it was. And even in those cities, what was going on is that business as usual. I, I think that it's interesting that, that they were so corrupt, yet everything was going along just as it always had. They're buying and they're selling, they're farming, they're building houses, things are going along. And yet there is so much corruption that they are even blind to. I, I really believe that that's what was going on. Is they, were, they were blind to their corruption. They didn't address the main problem, and the main problem was their evil sin. That was their main problem. They were going about their daily lives thinking everything's fine, but really it wasn't, not at all. You know, if things are truly corrupt and people are, are really engulfed in sin, those that are seeking the face of God, those that are truly righteous, will want to say, you know what, we need to stop everything else and address the main issue that's going on here in this world and in this time. We, we need to, to gather together and talk about what is really going on here. And I think us as believers in today's time, we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to gather and we're supposed to, you know what, we'll say, this world may be corrupt, but we're not going to go about our daily lives and do nothing about it. We're not going to just go about our daily lives and act like everything's hunky-dory. We're actually going to say, you know what, this place is corrupt and we need to address the sin that is in this world. We can't just turn a blind eye to it and just go about our daily lives. Is that what we're doing as a church? Are we really interjecting this world to say we need to stop and realize what's really going on here? Is that what we are doing as Christians in our own lives? Or do we go about our daily business? We go to work, we go to school, we come home, we cook dinner, we go to sleep, we, 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 we do the same thing over again the next day? Or do we individually as Christians, do we interject into our lives and say, you know what, as a business owner, as, as a person of business, I'm going to make sure that Christ is seen in everything that I do. I'm going to make sure that the evidence of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in my life is the most important thing and not so much the business that I run or the business that I do each day. If we are students, do we just go to class, act like everything's fine, act like that whatever the professor's saying is okay, even though that we know that it's not, without ever talking to a fellow student and saying, you know what, that that picture of what he is talking about is not a biblical worldview that is not what Jesus says, and the reason Jesus says it differently is because does he knows truth. And I can tell you truth because I've experienced truth, because I've experienced Jesus. Or do we say, you know what, it's whatever. As long as I get an A in the class, that's all I really care about. You see, I believe as believers that we should interject Christ into our lives. That it should not be business as usual when there's corruption all around us. We should be doing everything that we can to bring people into the kingdom of God. And to do that, that means that they have to have the reign and rule of Jesus, the reign and rule of God in their own lives. And what is the only way that that happens? It's when people surrender to the gospel of Christ, right? When you tell people the good news that Jesus died for them, that they were separated from God. But Jesus paid the penalty that they could not pay. He died for them and wiped away their sin if they will just trust and believe that that is real. And the fact that he is risen and he sits at the right hand of the Father now. If they will let him rule and reign in their lives, that, that yes, you will be in his kingdom one day. You will be in his kingdom immediately in your own heart. But physically, in that day to come, 
once the rest of the world is judged and their heart is really judged. I believe as Christians, we cannot continue to just go about business as usual with all the corruption going around us and us not interjecting the righteousness of God into that society, into that environment. I believe that God has called us to do that. But that is what, it, what, what has happened here is that God says, you know what, i got to wipe them out. It rained fire down from heaven. And, and, and who was saved then? Lot and his daughters, right? Not even his wife was saved. You remember what happened to Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt, you know, because she turned around and looked to, and you say, well, she was just, just looking at the city. What's the big deal about that? No, she was looking back to the place where she came from, longing for what she had, longing for what the way things used to be. So she didn't really want to leave it behind and have a new life. She's kind of hanging on to the old, right? If you're truly righteous, you're truly redeemed, you'll just push forward to what God has called you to. And in Genesis 19, you can see that they're kind of, they're kind of slow to go, and the angel of the Lord just grabs and says, come on, we got to get out of here. It is time to go. And what happens? The truly righteous are saved from the destruction. I believe sometimes that we try to overcomplicate things. We talk about things of the Bible, in particular the second coming of Christ, in particular God rapturing the church, all of these things. I believe that we tend to to make things too complicated sometimes. Verse 30, it said, Yes, we, it will be business as usual until the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. Jesus went on to say this. He says, if you're holding on to your life and you're not truly looking forward to God setting up his earthly kingdom, he says, you're not going to be part of it anyway. It's not for you. If there's not a longing in your heart for the reign and rule of Jesus Christ now, when he rules and reign on the, reigns on this earth, there will not be a, a desire in your heart for that either. You can't hang on to your life. You can't hang on to your old lifestyle. You can't grab a hold of it and say, you know what, I, 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 I'm longing for the kingdom of God, but I just want to hang on to my life right now. He said, the two don't mix. You can't do that. Your heart's divided. Your heart's divided between your own life now and, and, you, and your life to come through Jesus Christ. And you can't live that way. Jesus says this. He says, it's me or nothing. It's either you're all in or you're all out. There's no halfway in. You can't have... You know, one foot on each side of the line. It doesn't work that way. He says, you count the cost of discipleship, and then you follow me. And when you follow him, you're not like, well, maybe I'll follow. No, you follow him. And now, now Christ is who rules and reigns in your life, and you're fully submitted that. And he says, on that day, a person out on the deck of roof must I go down to the house to pack. You can't say, well, I, I got a few things here on this earth that I need to hang on to. The person that's out in the field can't go back to the house and say, oh, well, there, I still got to gather a few things to go before I be with God. I know that that sounds crazy, like people would do that. But Jesus is talking about what does their life say? What, what does their life really say? What things are they holding on to in this life that you would think about that person? You know what? If Jesus came back today, I believe they'd go back and grab their car keys. You know what I mean? There are some people like that, you know? And some people are like, well, let me get my savings bonds or let me, 
Nobody has savings bonds anymore. What is that? Why did I say that? Savings bonds. Let me go get my stock certificates out of the safety deposit box, and I'll take them with me. Because some people's life says that, right? Some people's life looks like that. That's what they're holding on to. That's where their, their hope and their trust is. So you can't be like that. You can't live your life like that. People can't know you as that kind of person. Man, if the kingdom of God comes, man, they're going to go back and try to grab something to take it with them. As a matter of fact, you can't even go grab your kids. Oh, no. Wow. Now, if your house is on fire, go get your kids. I'm not saying that, all right? So that's a different thing. What I am saying is if you love your kids more than you love the kingdom of God, you're not fully committed to the kingdom of God. You can't put anything above him. I know that it sounds like, man, we're supposed to love our kids and take care of our kids, and they're precious. And, man, if, if, you, if, you're, if you've got a lot of arrows, your quiver is full, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and they're a blessing from God. Yes, indeed. But they are a blessing from God. God is the one to be praised for your kids. He is the one to be worshipped for your kids. You don't worship your kids to worship God. There's a lot of people who try to do that, and it doesn't work that way. God says, you worship me first. He actually says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, right? That's where your eyes have to be fixed. If you put anything above God, it's wrong. You're out of alignment. Man, I love my kids. And I say kids because I had one that passed away. Nine years old, she passed away, went to be with the Lord. Man, I love them. And I have done anything to keep my daughter alive. But ultimately... Ultimately, the thing that matters most to me is my relationship with Jesus Christ. My kids don't come above that. And I love them des desperately, but they don't come before that. So you can't go back and say, you know what, come on with me, kids. You know what's got to happen. Those kids have to make the same decision you made, that nothing comes before God. Not their boyfriend, not their girlfriend, not their friends. Not their social status, no, none of that comes before God. What clique they belong to, what friends they have, all that kind of stuff has got to fall below Jesus Christ. They've got to make the same decision you made. That's the only way they're going to be called up to meet him in the air, just like you will be if you're a Christ follower. You know where the number one place they're going to learn that from, right? Your kids, they're going to learn it from you. They're going to look at your life and see if Jesus Christ is number one. If he's not, they're going to know it. You can't pretend. You can't hide it. You can't act like it's not true because your kids just know. They know if Jesus is number one in your life. They really do. And I don't care how many times you drag them to church. They know what you're like at home too. I, I know a, a lot of pastor's kids, not saying anything about pastor's kids, but I know a lot of them that are corrupt because they see daddy at home and they see daddy in the pulpit and they see two different people. I know a lot of Sunday school teachers are in the same boat. I know a lot of people that, that, that pretend to follow Christ that are in the same boat. They see the difference between way, the way the, the parents are in church and the way the parents are at home, and they say, man, there is a stark contrast there. I wonder if Jesus really is number one in their life. I would like to teach my kids that Jesus is supposed to be number one, even above them. So they will see that example, and they'll say, man, that's the way you're supposed to do things. I understand that. I want to embrace that. I want to love that. I, I'm supposed to love Jesus first. 
parents, I, I'm speaking to a lot because a lot of parents in here. I know not everybody's a parent, but parents, do your kids see you loving Jesus? I'm not saying does your parent do you do do your kids see you bringing them to church? Do your kids see you loving Jesus? And that's a yes or no question. That's not a well maybe question. You can't answer that with well maybe. As Forrest Gump would say, that's all I got to say about that. Remember it happened to Lot's wife. If you cling to your life, you will, uh, to your life, you will lose it. If you let your life go, you will save it. It's exactly what Jesus did for all of us, right? We, we, we can't hang on to our lives. We can't just hang on to it. If you try to do that, then you're, you're not going to save it, man. It'll never work is what Jesus is saying. You've heard this many times in God's word. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. I think this is an indication of a husband and wife. Two will be asleep in one bed, one will be left, one will be gone. Now, if I were to look at today's society and the way things are going, the way things are right now, I would say it's probably the wife that's going to be raptured. Oh, that hurts, doesn't it? Some guy's got a big lump in your chest and it's all tight when I say that. The kids see the mom loving Jesus more than they see the dad loving Jesus most of the time. That's the world we live in. Now, I will say that from the pulpit because I believe it to be true. I really do. All, all, <laughs> this is the way you can, you can take this test in, in, in the church in America. All you do is have a sign-up sheet for a mission trip, and you see who signs up more, women or men. All you got to do. That's all you got to do. You'll have, I, I mean, every, <laughs> almost every trip, I won't say every trip, almost every trip, the women outnumber the men two to one on a church trip when it comes to evangelism now if you want to take a whitewater rafting man guys will sign up for that all day long but if you want to take them to talk to people about jesus it, the women will outnumber the men at least two to one at least two to one well i'm talking about some hard stuff here today on a it's real <laughs> what's bad is i could say that today I could have a sign-up sheet, and i say, you know what? We're going on a mission trip. We're going to Haiti to tell people about Jesus. Come sign up. And at the end of the service, we'd still have the women outnumber the men two to one. Even after me saying that today, it would still show up that way. And the guys, you know what the guys would say? I'll give you what they'll say. I got to work. I got to work. I got to work. I can't, I can't go. I got to work. Got a little too real in here, didn't it? A lot of people probably won't come back next week. That's okay. I'm just telling you what's real. And, and you know when it'll be obvious that it's real? When Jesus sets up his kingdom. And there's one person left in the bed going, where did she go? Where did she go? And, and I don't, we don't have to take some kind of exam to know if you're a Christian. You know when you lay down in bed at night, you know which one you are. You know which one of you would be taken up. You know that. It says two women be grinding flour together in a mill. One will be taken, the other left. These are women that work together, probably befriended each other. And, and you think about this, man, what's the situation here? I, I think one thing that, that I see in this is if you, if you know somebody and you work with them day after day after day, you're, 
relationship with God through Jesus Christ should be evident. And it should flow over to that person that you work with every day. There's a good indication that, that man, you... you and, and maybe the situation, I can't tell you what the situation is that Jesus is talking about. Maybe the situation is this person tried and tried and tried and tried every day while they were grinding flour. But the other one, she wouldn't listen. Maybe they were good friends because they worked together every day and, and the other one would, just would not listen. There'll be people like that. There'll be people like that. And, and it breaks my heart to think that, man, that could be the case for a lot of us. But you know what I, I would hate worse than that is to be the woman, and, and, and she never tried. She had a true relationship with Jesus, but she never tried with her best friend that was working right next to her every day. How tragic would that be? How tragic would that be? To remain silent day after day, and you've got this opportunity, and you're even, you're even real about it. But yet, you're not sharing it in such a way that the person standing right next to you when that day comes, when they're separated, the true believers from the unbelievers, that that person would be with you in the kingdom of God. So the disciple, I'm, I'm not going to overcomplicate this right here because, man, you could read a thousand different commentaries on what this is. Where will this happen, Lord, the disciples ask. So this is the believers, Jesus' followers. They ask him, where will this happen? Jesus replies this way. This, this gets like, you're like, whoa, this would mean a lot. I mean, let me take some Old Testament and some New Testament and some Psalms and mix them all together, see if I can discern what this is saying. Let's not overcomplicate it. Jesus replied, just the gathering of vultures shows there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. All right, Jesus, clue us in. They're asking where. You know what they're asking for? How, how, how are we going to see this? How will we know it's going to happen? How will we know that, that we're in the right place at the right time? How, how, how are we going to have the right signs? Jesus says, it's going to be obvious. It's going to be obvious. You're not going to have to look around. You're not going to have to question it. You're going to say, you know what? I knew that the world was corrupt the whole time. I knew that the world was headed for destruction, that God would have to judge the world finally and finally put evil in its place. I knew that that would happen, and it was all around me the whole time. Jesus says, you, it, you know that. When you see vultures flying around, you know there's a carcass down there. So you're not going to have to like look around and, and, and be surprised by this. You're going to know it already. It's going to be easy to see. And yet at the same time, you won't know the time. Isn't that ironic? We'll be longing to see it. We'll hear what God's word has to say about it. And yet, it'll be obvious to us, but it's a time that we do not know. Jesus is saying this. He said, look around. Look around. Uh, the world will be judged, okay? Here's the truth that you need to know. Destruction will be ultimately put in its final place. It'll be bound in the lake of fire, and there will only be God's kingdom left here on the earth. That's the simple truth that you need to know. What we have seen evidence of in God's word today is the fact that those that are righteous, the truly redeemed, will be saved from the judgment that is going to happen, the destruction that will happen on the earth before this, this final setting of everything straight, before it finally happens, the destruction of the earth. 
See, there's a thousand different people that will tell you that, that, that you know what's going to happen. Is there going to be meteorites, giant meteorites that come, they strike the earth, and they're going to destroy the earth because there's not going to be, you know, the climates are all going to get jacked up, and then there's not going to be food, and people are going to starve, and that's how the earth's going to end. Or people say, you know what? Maybe the asteroid is just going to bust the earth into a thousand pieces, and it'll be so hot that everything will be uh, evaporated all in a second. Or there are people that will say, you know what, because we're putting so many pollutants in the air, because we've done so many things to destroy this earth, or maybe we've run it out of its natural resources, that we're just going to, it's just going to, the, the world's going to be in a bad place as a result, and we're all just going to die as a result of what we've done to the earth. You know what's going to happen? Jesus is going to return. That's how the, the end will come. Jesus is going to return. He's going to say, you know what? God's going to look at him and say, son, go get the church. Go get your people. It's time. And at that point in time, there will be people that will be close to each other. And one will be called to meet with Jesus and the other won't. One will be left here to endure the tribulation that will happen on this earth as a result of the fact that evil has got to be judged. It will be bad. It will be really bad. But Jesus says this. He gives us good news, and there's always good news with Jesus, and that's what I love about Jesus. He says this, he says, for, for you, maybe you are that friend who doesn't listen to the person next to you at work every day. Maybe you are the person that, that maybe you pretend to have a relationship with Jesus, but you don't really. But you know that person that works next to you, they really do. Jesus says there's good news for you. Or maybe you're the husband that has never, ever gone on a mission trip. Maybe you're the husband that if that list was put down here today, you would say, man, I would want to sign up on it. But if I know what's really going on in my heart... I wouldn't sign up for it. I would like to think that I would, but I won't. If you're that husband today, there's good news for you. You see, the thing about it is, the reason Jesus tells us these things, the reason he tells us about the fact that there is judgment to come, is the fact that he died. See, right here, he's given us a prelude to what's going to come, but at the same time, he just told us a minute ago in his word that, that he has to suffer, and he has to be rejected, that he's going to die reason that he died is for those people that I mentioned. The people that think they have a relationship with Jesus or, or like to pretend they have a relationship with Jesus but they really don't. And they know there will be this separation that happens at the end of the world. There's good news for you today. You can come to him today. You see, he hasn't returned yet. He, he had, the, the beauty of, of, of this message is that he could return at any time, but the beauty of this message is that he hasn't returned yet. He's not being slow in the way that you think that he's being slow. He, he's being patient. His will is that none should perish, but all should have eternal life. That's his will. That's his desire. So today, that, that could be you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you know him. You lay down at night. My prayer is that today, you would come and seek him while he can still be found. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your precious truth. Thank you so much for the fact that, God, even as destructive as this looks, whether we look at the destruction of the whole world in the days of Noah, as we look at the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in those days, God, when, when Lot and his two daughters were rescued, God, there is good news for us that before the destruction comes, God, we can still be rescued. Lord, I'm so thankful for the fact that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to make a way, God, so that we might be able to get to you. God, that you would, you would be that angel of the Lord that was there to run Lot and his family out and say, you know what, there, it's time to go. 
it's time to go. The time is at hand. I, God, I pray that you'd impress upon people's heart today that the time is at hand. God, that they should run, not walk, but run to your altar to be saved, to be rescued. God, this picture, this, this picture of, of the destruction, it is not pretty, but God, this picture of the destruction is beautiful because you give us the gospel. You give us a way to escape it. So, Lord Jesus, today I pray that you would speak to people's lives. If there's somebody here who's not a Christian, God, I beg you, God, I rescue them today. God, draw them out of the destruction that they're in so they might be saved today, so they might be able to follow through in believers' baptism, just like we've witnessed today as people have made it public that they're coming from death to life and they're a new creation in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would rescue them today. God, and then for the Christian, this, this is my prayer for the Christian. God, I pray, God, that they would so have a desire to be that light for you. God, that they, they'd be... A, a light on a hill, God, that people would be able to see that. Whether it's in their families or in their work or in their school, that God, people would see their love for Jesus and it would be real. God, they make an impact on this world. The people would see their genuine love for Jesus and it would flow out of their lives. And God, things that, that, that come into their lives, God, whether it's difficulties or whether it's every day-to-day -day job activity or whether it's the homework that they do, God, all of that would flow out from their love of Jesus and people would see that, and people would talk about the fact, God, we would talk about the fact that Jesus is the reason that we do what we do. The judgment is coming, God, but, but Jesus is the reason that I have hope. And may that hope, may it radiate from our lives. God, I pray that people would come down here and say, God, it hasn't radiated from my life. I believe in you. I trust in you. God, but it hasn't, it hasn't radiated from my life. God, give me opportunities for me to tell. Give me opportunities to show my family that I love Jesus. God, maybe that's the prayer they need to pray today. Whatever the case, I pray that we just be obedient to your Holy Spirit. As he moves in this place, God, I pray that we would just listen to him and listen to his voice alone, that we would squelch the voice of pride and we just humble ourselves before the cross of Christ. Father, thank you so much, God, for the good news of the gospel. Thank you so much for the good news of the cross, which looked like destruction, but was really salvation. In Jesus' name.